0: If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6, when the men were up here singing, I couldn't help but thinking that they have been holding out on us. And I think overall the congregation is angry that you have waited so long to sing these songs, so we demand that you sing them more often. Are you in agreement? There we go. All right. Also, uh, just kind of as a side note, I, I made a big deal about the fried chicken the other night how great it was? Well, there's a problem in the kitchen. Apparently, different individuals are taking credit for cooking. We all think it's Richie, and from what I've learned, it's Richie often, but not always. There's Jack, and even someone threw out they thought Rick did a good job the other night. So uh, I'm not sure what's going on there, however, with all that confusion, if they keep cooking the way they are, I think we'll be okay. So (laughs) anyway, let's, uh, let's bow for prayer. Father, as always, we are grateful as we gather together to worship you and to honor you and to seek, Father, to be encouraged and to be strengthened as we gather together to sing and to hear songs being sung, to pray together, to read the Bible, and then, Father, as we continue our truck through the book of Ecclesiastes to once again read and think about what is here and to have it explained. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us as we seek to grasp all the things that Solomon is writing and wants to communicate to us. We ask, Lord, again, that we will use this as a guide as we think about our lives, as we think about life in general, as we think about the observations that Solomon makes, as we look around and make these same observations often in our day and time. And, Father, also that we pay attention to the truths that will be revealed to us along the way that will give us, Father, a, a proper and a much better understanding of the world and the way that it works. And so, as always, we ask that you would bless our time in your word, that it would indeed be profitable to us, Father, and beneficial. And so we thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, and yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity, and is striving after the wind. As you can tell, Solomon is quite serious when he says in verse 1 that not only is there the evil that he has seen, but he says it lies heavy on mankind. He means to say that this bothers a lot of people. Maybe not always expressed in the same way, but this is something that is very uh, concerning. When we look at life and we begin to think about life, and again, the idea here is that when someone is looking at life and trying to figure out what does it mean, what is this all about, what is all of this for? And of course, he then uses that very familiar phrase that all is vanity. And again, it's not so much that he's emphasizing that it's all empty. Maybe we could think of it this way, that it seems empty because he can't really grasp the meaning of life the meaning of life that would help him to understand why these things are the way they are, and perhaps they would not seem so empty to him. Solomon here returns to the theme of the person who acquires riches, as he mentioned in chapter 5, but here he mentions that this rich man is unable to enjoy them. And so Solomon's despair at this enigma intensifies. This seems to be, again, fairly common. It is stated that riches and honor are given by a God to a particular person. Wealth is a gift from God. But here, God clearly does not empower that person to enjoy his wealth. In fact, he goes on to point out that this wealth is enjoyed by a non-family member. It's by a stranger. We're not told why God does not empower this person to enjoy the wealth or under what circumstances that it is passed to the stranger. But really, that's beside the point. For Koheleth, it is enigmatic; it is mysterious that the one works so hard and then is unable to enjoy the fruit of one's labor. And he is repulsed by this, and he is sickened by this. Maybe this thing has happened because the rich man has no children. So Solomon then kind of moves into this idea that even if this guy has 100 children and lives a very, very long time, he still can't grasp what's going on if this guy can't find rest and satisfaction in his labor. So there's a couple of things that he's going through as we work our way through this. And that is the ability to enjoy them that's been taken away or not given by God. But also he brings up this idea of rest. The idea of, of being at peace. In other words, if, if you can't find meaning in life, if you don't have meaning in life, then, then you're not restful. You're not at peace with it. You're not content. You can't really enjoy it because your mind's always running through some things. And so he talks about this individual not being able to find rest compared to an individual who's able to find rest. He says in verse 3 again, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good good things. Again, the point is, is his life is empty. Proverbs 17.6 says, children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. So what happened to that? Here, this individual has grandchildren. It's the crown to those who are older. And it's, um, the, uh, parents are the pride uh, of their children. But he's, he's writing about here in Ecclesiastes about having all these things and life is empty. Proverbs uh, 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity so here he, he talks about it being a good thing, about having a long life and having prosperity. But again, in contrast to all of this, Solomon states that one may have all of this and still not be at rest, and still be, uh, still lack fulfillment. And you and I are familiar with stories. We, we have heard about them. We, we read about individuals who have wealth or have access to pretty much whatever they want to do. And we read about all the turmoil in their life, all the, all the difficulties they have at home. How how many times have we seen stories on either forty-eight hours or twenty-twenty where you know they, they, they have the opening shot, you know, the sun is rising or setting over some picturesque scene and there's this beautiful home, maybe maybe a lot bigger than ours, and everything just seems to be manicured just in a perfect way. And of course because you're watching twenty twenty or forty eight hours, you already know that somewhere there's a dead body and it's connected to that house. It might even be in that house. And so, and so here they talk about how everyone thought they had this and everyone thought they had that. And next thing you know, there, you find out there has been not just weeks, not months, but years of turmoil and sadness and really wretchedness going on. So here Solomon is talking about the wealthy normally... A wealthy individual is able to secure a site to have a proper burial, but he mentions here that this individual doesn't have that. He lacks a decent burial, which indicates, again, uh, what was true of his life as a whole, that it was unfulfilled. Unfulfilled in life and unfulfilled in death. Despite his wealth, despite his extended family, lacking a burial site, he's not even going to be remembered. He's not going to be remembered. Again, verse 3, it reads If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial, then he says, Solomon says, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It's a strong statement. I think Solomon is, has got some pretty strong feelings about all of this. Psalm 58, verses 6 through 8, reads this way. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Tear out, O Lord, the fangs of the lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows be blunted. Like a slug melting away as it moves along, like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun. Here David is praying and asking for God to bring judgment upon his enemies. And so it seems as he kind of goes through this list of things that he wants God to do, the last thing is, uh, the, most, the strongest worded statement here is, may they be like a stillborn child and not even see the sun. David is calling on God to wipe out the wicked, to, to judge them harshly. He boldly asks God, again, to break their teeth, to keep them from communicating their injustice. They were ferocious as lions whose teeth, like fangs, needed to be torn out. And again, David also prayed that the judges would be met by a sudden end. And there's three things he he talks about. Vanishing as water evaporates, so that their arrows, their words, would be ineffectual. B, that they would be melting away as a snail perishes in a drought, and then dying suddenly like a stillborn who does not see the sun. So to be stillborn and never see the sun is one of the worst forms of judgment one can imagine. So Solomon, again, is communicating these very strong feelings, revealing the depth of his struggle. Remember that Solomon is also a very wealthy man. He is talking about himself, what he's observing and what he's experiencing. Remember that Solomon, in all of his wisdom, that seems to be there is this period of time that he was enamored with his riches, with his resources, what he was able to do when he kind of got sidetracked and he was seeking to find fulfillment and meaning in all these things he was pursuing. And, of course, he keeps hitting all of these dead ends, and it bothers him deeply. Although the stillborn, as he mentions, never sees the sun, at least it is at rest. So apparently that's a big deal. At least it's at rest. We've talked before about the inability of many individuals to get a good night's sleep. It doesn't always mean that they're necessarily wrestling with things that are super profound, but they are wrestling with things that are profound, at least to them. There's a great deal of worry. I, I would add that when there's that kind of worry and concern, that that individual has not really found ultimate meaning in life because they're still in disarray. They're unable to turn their brain off on those things. And so and so they have a problem. There's a lot of individuals who are trying to find a way to escape not just their problems. You know, when we talk about individuals who do drugs and, or drink to excess and the, the idea that they want to get numb because of all the problems they have. And I do know that they do that, and that's true. But I think there's something that's added to that. And what's added to that is this. Is that it's not just that they have all these problems. It's that they can't really make any sense out of it. It doesn't come to an end. And then on top of that may be some guilt. Either the guilt of, of what they're not doing now or the guilt that it just it, it compounds. And so they, they really want to escape. And of course, what we do understand is that when an individual goes in that direction, the problems get worse. A, because when they are inebriated, they're not doing anything to solve the problem. And then those things they're doing bring about their own difficulties and problems. If you look at verses 4 and 5, I think I'll put this in your notes just to make sure that it's absolutely clear as to what he's trying to uh, communicate. When he says in verse 4, for it, meaning the stillborn, so for the stillborn comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness the stillborn's name is covered. Moreover, the stillborn has not yet seen the sun or known anything, yet the stillborn finds rest rather than the wealthy man. So he compares the stillborn child with a wealthy man and the key for him is the stillborn is at rest is at peace. He even mentions that even though he should live a thousand years twice over yet he enjoys no good. He asks he makes he's asking a question but it's rhetorical, do not they all go to one place? So here when he says he enjoys no good it's not that he can't have moments of fun with his money or resources. The individual is able to do that. But he's not able to enjoy the good things of life. In other words, again, to enjoy the good things of life. It'd be like this. Let's say you have a, a family gathering. We'll just assume it's a good family gathering. <laughs> there's, no, there's no arguments, and you know, Aunt Janice isn't angry at, you know, Uncle whoever. But so that is it's a good thing. And so you have a nice big happy meal together, and you sit down and just kind of relax in each other's company. And all the, you know, everyone's talking, and you hear laughing, and it's just, it feels good. It's, it's great to be in that atmosphere, to experience that. And many people would say, man, this is so great. You'd be amazed how many individuals I have talked to through the, through the years who have never experienced that with their family ever. They've never had that. I feel bad for them. I feel really bad for them. They're missing out on some of the great things of life. In fact, I'll throw this out now in verse 7 when he says, all the toil of the man is for his mouth. I believe that the word mouth there, he's not talking about the mouth of the wealthy man. It's the mouth of the grave or the mouth of Sheol. So what he's saying is all the toil of of the man is for Sheol. It's all going to go to the grave. And of course, his appetite, the appetite of Sheol is not satisfied. It's just a never-ending thing. So again, Solomon's struggle with all that he's observing is compounded by the shadow of death. He, again, as he's mentioned before that we've covered, he notices that no matter what's going on here, they all die. And he's just disturbed by that. Then he gets really almost a little cynical. Verse 8, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? In other words, what he's saying is this, wisdom is about skill and living. But what value is wisdom or the skill in being able to live well? What is the value of having that to the poor if their lot in life is to be oppressed and exploited? Then on top of that, how can wisdom help the one who's poor if rising out of poverty is one of the things wisdom is meant to produce? Becoming wealthy or being uh, uh, is going to help you get out of that. If being wealthy merely compounds the problem, what's the meaning of life? What does it all mean? In fact, there's a good paraphrase of verses six through nine, and it reads this way: He might live a thousand years twice over, but still not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, what's the use? All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. So are wise people really better off than fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. So this set of verses, these are not happy verses. I don't know if we're going to leave here today smiling and laughing because of what he observes. And we know that what he's ob- he's not exaggerating. We know that this is true. And so there's several points that I want to make as we think about this and let it germinate in our minds. Number one, Solomon wants us to know what work and thus what life is all about. And wealth is one of the areas he examines in this respect. right, so he wants us to know what work and what life is about. Those two things are very intimately connected. It's because we spend a lot of time at work or doing work. Secondly, accumulation of wealth is one of the great idols of our day. And huge amounts of energy are spent seeking meaning through greater and greater accumulation of wealth and possessions. In fact, one individual has said this, we cannot fully appreciate the depths of materialism unless we understand how economic behavior supplies us with meaning, purpose, and a sense of sacred order. The idea is is that our pursuit of the dollar or our pursuit of what the dollar can buy, if that is your single-minded pursuit, you need to understand that that is giving you meaning, purpose, and a sense of, of a sacred order. So it is idol worship. So looking at these in more detail, and some of these things you know very clearly because we have known these things for quite a while, but nonetheless, they are repeated for us. And so if we, as we go into a little more detail, the love of money will not lead to satisfaction in life. It's amazing how many individuals understand that intellectually, but they still pursue that. They still go after the money, thinking, well, if I can. But I know it won't bring me complete happiness, but if I can just get this. And I know it's not going to bring me this, but if I can just get my hands on that kind of a thing... Solomon probes the inner attitude towards wealth and possessions. And there is to be a Christian attitude towards these things. Clement of Alexandria, one of what we call one of our church fathers in the third century, he was commenting on the rich man who was told by Jesus to sell everything and to come to follow him. And what Clement of Alexandria asserted that what was at stake was not a call to poverty. God was not or Jesus was not calling that man to poverty. He said The inner spirit, uh, it was a call to uh, the inner spirit of passionate desire for goods. That's what he was asking him to give up. The inner spirit of passionate desire for goods. We easily become attached to goods, to things, in a way that replaces the creator God with his gifts. This is idolatry. It will never lead to fulfillment in life. For we are made first for God and the creation can be properly enjoyed only as a gift. I saw, uh, Cindy and I watched a special once. It was on Michael Jackson. Um, And this was, uh, he'd already pretty much become a recluse by this time. But, of course, he was unbelievably wealthy. And as they were doing this story on him, on this one particular day, he was going to go shopping. And so they went with him to several different stores. Everything was unbelievably expensive. Didn't really matter. (laughs) So he kind of goes to this one store. And whatever he likes, whatever catches his eye, ooh, get that. He's got assistance with them, uh, that, that, ooh, I want that, that, all this stuff. I mean, it just, they load up this limo with all these things uh, from these, uh, these several stores. And then they, they're continuing to, you know, to, to interview him, and, and they, they get to the house where he lives, and all these things are unloaded. I'm not sure he ever looked at him again. He bought this really cool-looking chess set. I don't think he plays chess. And I don't think he was getting it for his kids. I don't think they played chess. And he certainly wasn't teaching them how to play. It would just look nice. Among all the other things, it looked nice. It didn't bring any satisfaction or fulfillment of any kind in his life. And we see that, and, and we kind of know that. But we say, well, it would be kind of nice to be able to go into the mall and just kind of say, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. I guess it would be fun for the moment. It fleets, goes away very quickly. So as we look at this in detail, secondly, what we need to keep in mind is the effect that possessions can have on us. We are familiar with the uh, truth that a good tree will produce good fruit. It's also true that our heart will be shaped by the location of our treasure. Solomon gets to that here in chapter 6. What is the effect of the love of money on the person? One is unable to find rest and and the meaning that one desires. That's its effect. Its effect on us, the love of money, or the love of possessions, its effect on us is we're unable to find rest, we are unable to find meaning in life. It is interesting that Solomon doesn't explain again, as I mentioned before, why God does not empower one to enjoy the wealth that he has, but he does reference a lack of satisfaction again, this lack of rest. And since the fall of man, work has not Easily integrated into life so that one works and then rests as God does in Genesis 1 and 2. Work is a struggle, and work can easily become an idol. Again, we need to remember that man working was not the curse, God cursed the work, and so it becomes this great struggle. But work is to be part of what we do and what we engage in as individuals. Now, let me just kind of throw this out there. When I, when I talk about having wealth or money or the pursuit of money or work and how those things can become an idol, sometimes we can very easily dismiss that from our mind. And the reason is, is because when I use the word idol, what we often think about is, well, I don't worship these things. I don't bow down to these things. So eh, that's not my problem. Well, so let's think of it another way. Think of it this way. Think of it in terms of trust. I have confidence in living my life, and maybe I don't worry much because I am trusting in my job or I'm trusting in my paycheck. I feel secure because of what I possess or because of where I possess it. Everyone is always trusting something to secure and satisfy them. So let me kind of break it down a little more. Let's say that tomorrow morning you hear something, you hear some people having a conversation And you hear something that saddens you because whatever they're talking about, you're convinced it's going to make you look bad. Whatever you hear them talking about, it's going to make you look bad. And so you're saddened by that. I think at that moment, it shows that you're no longer trusting Jesus. You're now trusting recognition from people to satisfy you. See, that's what we're getting down to is that. That then is a form of worship. You, you idolize what people are thinking about you at a particular time. Now, that doesn't mean that you have no concern. We, we can have a concern about what people think. But here, your mood, your emotions are altered because of this thing, and you're not really trusting in the Lord at that moment. And we know that trusting in the Lord is a moment-by-moment moment thing. And, that's what, and so what happens is, is when it comes to our jobs or our money or our income or what the balance is in the account or what it happens to be, Again, whether that those things are a lot or little, that doesn't matter. That you are, in a sense, concerned about those things may not be all that important. But are you? Is that where you're putting your trust? Are 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 you able? To, are you resting or you feel secure because you have those things in a certain amount? Maybe you watch TV without taking time for the Word, and let me explain that a little bit because it's not some little pithy thing that we can talk about because if you watch tv and you don't take time for the word it may show that you're no longer trusting christ to fully satisfy you you're trusting that tv will satisfy you more now when i say that i'm it doesn't mean that you have to read your bible first and then you watch tv okay, i'm not talking about the order of things i'm not talking about how much time you read your bible and then how much time you watch tv now, that may be an important discussion but that's not what i'm getting at what I'm getting, is, getting to is this: is that is that over the past uh, 24 hours, when it comes to reading the Bible and watching TV, again, it's not about the numbers of hours spent on each. It's simply about what are you really doing with your time. Do you do you find yourself as you organize your life, as you live your life out, that this one thing over here really helps you to? Relax and do all those things. In other words, you can, I can relax while I watch TV, but if I'm always turning to that, to rest from the day, I need to be more engaged with God in every aspect of my life. And so what can easily happen is, is I'm not bowing down to worship the TV. I'm not, I'm not worshiping it per se, but I'm, I'm putting a lot of trust in it to bring me whatever it is I'm looking for. And, or, and again, it can be whatever that it is. And so the idea is, is that when, when it comes to wealth or the pursuit of wealth or all these possessions that he's been talking about, uh, or maybe even the number of children we have, whatever it happens to be, those things can become an idol because that's where we put our confidence in. We put our trust in those things more so than we do with the Lord. Over the past 24 hours, what has brought you the most joy? What have you been the most excited about? the answer will show what you're really trusting in. It's not that you cannot find joy in other things, because we can, and we're supposed to. But when we desire other things more than Christ, it shows we are trusting things to satisfy us more than Christ, or other than Christ. And that's where we have to get into that honest evaluation, asking God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. So I enjoy, I love spending time with my grandkids. I love that. That can become an idol. So I I want the Lord to help me to look at how much I love that, to look at how I organize my life in trying to make that happen, to make sure that that doesn't become the all-consuming thing in my life. That it is always going to be looked at through the paradigm of what the Word of God gives to me. I may have to make some decisions I don't like. I may not. Because sometimes we always think the negative, well, we don't really want to think about it in light of what the Word of God says, because that means I'm going to have to spend less time with my grandkids. Where is that? I don't find that in here anywhere. We always think of it as being the negative. Like, you know, I, I have this hobby I like, and someone says, well, I, have, you, have you talked to the Lord about it? Are you sure the Lord wants you to, to do this? And the answer is no, and the reason is, is because we're afraid that somehow God is going to say you can't do that, you're going to have to spend less time on that. That may not be the case. I know I've told you before when I was in high school and getting ready to go to college that, you know, I was just, football was like everything. You know, football wasn't first in my life. It was first, second, third, and fourth. That's how I organized everything in my life. I never, when I was in high school, I never once prayed and talked or talked to the Lord about anything in connection with me playing football. Because I was terrified he would say I couldn't do it. Which shows you I just didn't trust him didn't understand him either. Now, it's a possibility that maybe I shouldn't have played. I don't think so, but that's a possibility. But I was always looking at it from the negative. Maybe I would have had my life worked out right, and instead of then playing one year and then having a reconstructive knee surgery, maybe I could have had a great time playing four years and then had my reconstructive surgery. <laughs> you know, like, who knows how that would have gone? But the point is, I wasn't trusting God. And so I didn't bring these things to him. And so that did reveal that was clearly an idol in my life. Period. So maybe we should ask ourselves this question. Are there areas in my life or things in my life that I'm not really talking to God about? And perhaps that'll give you the answer. Back to our point that Solomon here is making, the pursuit of wealth and honor above all things, boomerangs or can boomerang back on the person and leave one restless and unfulfilled. Thirdly, it's also important to, to remember this. Solomon is not glorifying poverty. Because there are some, you can even find many books written by Christians that somehow want to glorify poverty. It's if you really want to be close with the Lord, if you really, then, then you take a vow of poverty or, or you live that way. Well, maybe. I don't find that in the Bible. There are some that are poor, and there are some that are wealthy. And, they're, and they're the, God has called each to whatever lot he has in life. Uh, remember the freedom to eat, to drink, to work, to accumulate wealth? All those are gifts of God, and they are to be enjoyed before him. In the Old Testament, there is no condemnation. Uh, um, uh, there is condemnation of those who oppress and show no concern for the poor, but there is no condemnation of just wealth by itself. So if we take Solomon's observations... Taking what we have here in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, our takeaway are these. One, possessions are good but also dangerous. To avoid the dangers of possessions, we need to pursue simplicity and generosity. Secondly, generosity may imply more than just moderation. It may involve renunciation. It's not always that, but it might be. Not all Christians are called to this, Some are called to renounce all wealth. Others are not. Again, as I mentioned, the Bible is full of both. Abraham, extremely wealthy man. John the Baptist. Well, he was so poor, he wore camel hair clothes, and he was eating locusts and honey. How about you? But I'm sure you can lose weight eating that, but that would not be my diet of choice. And so we need to make sure that we are seeking the Lord about how to handle those things. Thirdly, attempting to practice simplicity and generosity may create tension in your Christian life. So remember, you can have rest in the Lord and still have tension. Where there's, so let's say, let's say that you, if you have money, there may always be a tension. What you have, what you have saved, what you give away, and it's never easy. That's okay. It's all right. You, you may, you, there'll be moments where you are at peace with that. It doesn't mean that you'll never have rest. But I don't think there's, there is no one simple answer for everyone because it's different. It truly is different. And that's why we seek the Lord and his wisdom. Perhaps what we can say is that God has called us to both enjoyment and renunciation. All of us to that. There are times when we enjoy and times when we may need to renounce what we have. Keep in mind that our attachment to things or our attachment to money is the need for security often. And so again, we have to ask ourselves, what or whom do we place our confidence in? And again, remember, don't go around trying to answer that for others. Answer that for yourself. You be the answer of that, you and the Lord. To say that our life consists not in what we possess, but in our relation to God, is not to say that the things of this world are of no importance, but it does make the issue of trust central. And so once again in the end, We need to ask ourselves, whether it's our psychological well-being that we're looking at, our physical well-being, or any other type of security that we're looking for, what is it we then put our trust in? Do you put your trust in the neighborhood you live in? Do you put your trust in the country you live in? Do you put your trust in your government? Do you put your trust in uh, our military and our ability to do things? To acknowledge that we have what we have because of all those things is not wrong. But my ultimate security lies in the Lord Jesus Christ because all of those things can change and they can change rather Mm -hmm. rapidly and they can change immediately. And then what am I left with? My life, I pray, will not fall apart because my trust and my confidence is in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the difficult words that Solomon has penned for us here. I don't know, Lord, how many of us have wondered about some of these kinds of things. But I'm sure there are those who have wandered, uh, wondered about this idea that so you may have the ability to live right. You may have that wisdom. But if you are continuously being taken advantage of, what's the use? It's easy, Father, for us to become cynical. We begin to lose our understanding of the world and all that is taking place and of your plan. There are times, Father, that it is very difficult. There are times that it can be very disappointing. There are times, Lord, when there may be a lot of grief or tension. Lord, as long as the curse of sin prevails upon the face of the earth, all of those things are going to exist. But, Father, I pray that you would help us to find our comfort and our security. And our rest in you. That with all of those things that we mentioned being true, we will have rest. So, Father, I pray that for those here this morning who know you, who have not experienced those things, I pray that you would help them to bring these aspects of their lives to you in prayer. I pray they would ask you to help them. (coughs) to evaluate where they put their trust and confidence. I pray, Lord, not only that you would show them if they have misplaced their trust and confidence, but, Lord, as they reorganize their priorities and get them right, I pray that you would give to them a very deep sense of joy and peace and rest. And then, Father, for those who may be clinging to these things because they don't know you, I pray, Lord, that in your kindness and grace you reveal to them the absolute emptiness and the absurdity of trusting in anything other than you. And I pray that you reveal to them that their desire and their natural inclinations to trust these things is because they are living in rebellion to you and because they are separated from you. I pray that you would help them to come to their senses. And Father, they would come to you And they would seek you. And they would embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they would believe in the work of Christ. And be forgiven of their sin. And be adopted by you into your family. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to work in all of our hearts. Doing that which is necessary for our good. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.